The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. Welcome back, everyone, to the first MCU review of 2023. I am one of your hosts today, Elliot Serrano. You might know me from other shows such as Shake It Not Heard and Caffeinated Comics. I want to bring in the rest of our MCU review crew. First of all, we do know him as the main man, the guy who makes the MCU review available on his podcast uh, hosted on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, John Clark. Hey, that trailer lied to you, though. It does. We will talk about that. We will talk about the lies. Uh, the lies, although quite clever. We have talked about that sort of thing in the past, and we'll address it. Uh, yes, but it does lie. I remember looking at it going, oh, wait, this is that one thing that uh, your regular uh, Caffeinated Comics co-host, Stephen Brown, will talk oh, about. We could talk to him. Yes, if only we could welcome him to the show. Hello, Stephen. Hey, hey, I'm making an appearance. How's everybody? It's good to see you. And oh, look at the beard is back. Yeah, the beard's back. Yeah. Stephen, I called you the Obi Wan Kenobi of caffeinated comics because you'll just appear as a ghost. Yeah. Your imperial figure. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, in addition to Stephen Brown, the regular co-host of Caffeinated Comics, is my regular co-host from Shaken Not Heard, the man who helped bring this all together, Dave Pino. How you doing, Dave? Oh, I am good. How are you guys? Oh, look, someone's wearing his Captain America jersey there. Look, look yeah, there. I had planned to wear this on several previous occasions and just kept forgetting. So, literally, <laughs> never. Good thing Marvel made 20 fucking movies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Gives yeah. you plenty of time to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, so, for folks who are not familiar with uh, the MCU review or Shaken Not Heard, the MCU review follows the same formula. Uh, that we established with Shaken Not Heard when uh, Dave and I decided to go through all the James Bond movies, starting with Dr. No through No Time to Die. Um, we said, hey, we love talking about all the movies so much. Let's port this over to another series of films that isn't as limited <laughs> as mm-hmm. the um, Bond films are. So we went with the MCU uh, and, of course, we had to bring John Clark in on this. And not only uh, is John Clark a part of this and Stephen Brown. Stephen says he's got to be in on every Avengers movie. Got to have you in on every Avengers movie. Yeah, I'd appreciate it. But in every episode of the MCU Review, we do have a custom cocktail that is made in honor of each film. And creating those custom cocktails is our resident mixologist, Thomas Jetner. Hey, Tom. Hey, guys. <laughs> oh, wow. Look, someone's, someone's enjoy- can I tell you something? I am enjoying it, too. For once, I there was actually go. able, I, for, I remembered the drinks when Dave brought them to work and handed them off to me. 
And I, I even told them, I said, you know what? I'm leaving work now so I can drop this off at John's house. <laughs> I actually have one on time. This All right. Time. There we go. I, I still have three that we're trying to remember what movies they're from. That's how backlog we were. <laughs> you need a picture from like the fridge and I can probably identify them by uh, by how they look. Oh, I will. We were, I was like, well, there's a yellow one and then there's a brown one. Well, for those who need to know, we'll be talking about the, the cocktails. Before we get into that, though, I do want to welcome everyone who's watching us on the live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch TV. Welcome, Lehman. Uh, welcome, Susan, our regulars. Um, uh, if you're watching, feel free to comment, say hello, so we know you are there. You're also welcome to participate in the conversation today. Uh, for those of you who are not watching the uh, Georgia Bulldogs TCU Corn Frogs football game, which is on ESPN, which I don't have, so eh, I guess I don't, I'm not going to miss it so much. Um, so uh, thank you, everyone. If you are watching this live for the first time, again, we are talking about the MCU films. Today's edition is Avengers Infinity War. If you have never seen our show before and are interested, we have gone through every film from Iron Man up to present. You can see a video archive of those shows on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash MCU Review, R-E-V-U. Or you can check out our YouTube page. Uh, the YouTube page URL has changed, so you just have to go to, it's like uh, MCU, I'm sorry, youtube.com slash at MCU Review, and I forgot what the numbers are. But if you just go to YouTube and do a search on MCU Review, you'll show up. We have all the films, uh, well, with the exception of Iron Man. If you want to see our Iron Man review, you got to go to our Facebook page. Everything moving forward from there, uh, Hulk on forward, you can see on, on the YouTube page. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the... Uh, End of what's this? What's phase three? This is uh, am I correct? Th this is the movie that everything's been building up to for the most part, uh, and would is probably the zenith at this point of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Again, I got chills watching that that trailer. On my, I'm like, oh my god, that is so well done. So well done. And speaking of well done, uh, before we get too much into the film talk, let's talk a little bit about this cocktail that you've created, Thomas. Uh, we call it the what? The Infinity Gauntlet. So just like the Infinity Gauntlet has six stones, the Infinity Gauntlet cocktail has six ingredients. There is, I believe Elliot usually has a picture there we go. Photo credit my lovely wife uh, on that. But you can see the six ingredients from left to right. We have uh, Dolan Blanc Vermouth. We have uh, Angus, one dash of Angostura bitters, half an ounce of uh, Aperol, uh, one full ounce of dry gin. In this case, you fellows are all drinking Hep, uh, Hendrix Neptunia. Uh, a spritz of absinthe or a dash of absinthe if you uh, don't have a I used a, uh, my making my drink for tonight, I have a little spray bottle, actually, that rinses my glass in absinthe. Um, you get like a $1 spray bottle at Target or something like that. It's great for making things like this or Sazeracs where you need to do an absinthe rinse. Uh, and then half an ounce of bitter grapefruit liqueur. 
uh, courtesy of that's Bitterman Citron Sauvage. Um, so I came very, I wanted to do kind of a gin drink. Uh, there is a gin drink out there called the Bijou, uh, but that I believe has, I believe that has chartreuse in it. And as we know that that triggers uh, Dave's instructions to kill me because I've crossed a line uh, into uh, a, a place of no return. So, um, so yeah, I, I think this is, I think it worked out pretty good. I think it doesn't quite have a, like a, it doesn't have like a layering effect or anything like that, but I think it turned out pretty okay. I think if I were to do this again, I might make it a dash sweeter, but otherwise I think it turned out good. No, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it right now. There's a really distinctive, um, like aroma. That's very, I, I don't know if you guys are picking wow. up on it too. That's different from any other cocktail I've ever uh it's, it's like a fruit syrup kind of. That would be the the Aperol is an orange liqueur. That's if you ever order an Aperol spritz. That's the 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 main flavor ingredient in an Aperol spritz. It's a very uh, nice sweet orange flavor. But to kind of take the edge off of that, I use the bitter grapefruit liqueur, uh, which um, I really like. That Citron Sauvage. Um, I bought it because it's an ingredient in the Ragnarok cocktail. Uh, because it represents the bitterness of the struggle for freedom. Um, but it works really good in a Mai Tai as just something to do a little bit different. It's It works really well in a lot of different things where you would normally use an orange liqueur, but you don't want anything quite as sweet, but you don't want to go as crazy bitter as a Campari. So I think that's where you're getting a lot of the flavor. I do think that I might dial it back and I might amp up the gin a little bit. If I were to redo this, but I think it worked out okay. What I'm smelling is almost like an herbal type smell. It's it's very pleasant, but I I don't know if it's just a combination. That of, might be the absinthe. That might you might maybe be that's what up it is. The, yeah. the absinthe that's on the there. one ingredient that's I'm not particularly uh, used to drinking. <laughs> I was going to comment. That's what I'm picking up. I've had absinthe before, and I'm definitely picking that up with this drink. So, okay. considering it was just a little spray, I was like, oh wow, not bad. All right. So for those of you who are not watching the live stream, if you're not watching uh, us on the video archive, if you're listening to this episode as an audio podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, you can go to REVU Cocktails. That's Review Cocktails on Instagram to see both the uh, wonderful photograph that Thomas's wife took, as well as the recipe for the Infinity gauntlet this week's themed cocktail all right well let's get into the movie gentlemen uh, again uh infinity war the big uh, event of uh, the big marvel event i think the only thing that's going to top um infinity war will be of course the sequel end game uh, released in 2018, directed by the Russo brothers, starring Robert Downey Jr., Josh Brolin, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Holland, and an entire cast. Let's not forget Mark Ruffalo, um, Benedict Cumberbatch, among others. A culmination of all these different plot threads uh, that were dropped throughout previous films and pretty much uh, fulfilling the promise that Marvel made that you're going to have 
one of the biggest crossovers you've ever seen in films. And I'm telling you, it was. It, but it, it was more than just a bunch of heroes together on screen, to, you know, on screen. It was, if you ask me, a very well-paced and written, uh, written movie. So our next feature, our next segment on the MCU Review, we call... Uh, our two-minute MCU movie review. That's where each of our panelists give their two-minute summation of how they felt about this particular film. And Stephen, since you are our returning guest and an Avengers expert, why don't you go first? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say first of all, I'm glad the we got to see the trailer again. I haven't seen that in a long time, um, and it's like I forgot how well done that trailer was. Like kudos to whoever edited that and put that together. Cause I remember when it came out watching it at work uh, and I just watched it on like repeat at work and like that the morning, whenever it got revealed at like 10 AM or whatever. Um, but I think this was probably, it's probably the better of the two big Avengers movies they did that they filmed simultaneously just because it's more, I think it's a better story. I, even though it's like, you can get into kind of the minutiae of the things that don't work in this movie, but I think um, as far as like pacing the different elements of the different groups of characters moving around and uh, the kind of the heist aspect of kind of chasing these stones around um, sprinkled in with these like big compelling, like um, character moments. There's a lot of like I've, stuff I completely forgot happened in the MCU, just like really impactful. Like, Oh, it's great that this scene happened or, Oh, that paid off really well. It's like, I remember sitting in the theater and people cheering when Cap shows up again and when people gasping when Thanos throws them more off the cliff. Like there was a lot of like big hits in this movie. Um, and it's, it's and then so much of what we're enjoying now in Disney Plus in the MCU comes from this movie. Uh, Dave, why don't you go next? Um, yeah, I'll echo a lot of what Steven said. It's it's a really um exciting thrilling satisfying film um it feels like when i was re-watching it yesterday it's been a couple years since i'd seen it and um i had forgotten it feels sort of like a like a, a mashup of two movies it's like an avengers movie and then you have like a guardians 2.5 or you know, a, a third sort of mini guardians movie that kind of you know goes back and forth and um another thing that stuck out to me is it's uh, there's obviously it is a Marvel movie, so there's plenty of action, but there are long stretches of the movie where there's not a ton of action, but it doesn't really feel like it's dragging. It doesn't really feel like you're, you know, checking your watch, see, you know, when is something going to happen? When is there going to be a big, you know, aerial sequence or a big, you know, land battle of some kind? Um, it's so it's, it managed just to, to be Elliot, as you said, very well paced despite being, uh, um, you know, one of the not longest, but to this point, longer movies. And and then I love the fact that after all is, you know, character uh, character moments and big, you know, plot developments, it culminates in what I feel is a much grittier version of the land battle from The Phantom Menace. And it's very exciting and fun in that regard. And then, of course, the big shock cliffhanger ending. You can't have a show without a Star Wars callback. <laughs> Thomas. Um, so Dave and, and Steven kind of 
took away a lot of what I was going to, the points that I was going to make about how this movie is stuffed with stuff, but it all seems to cook and it's well paced. And you get a kind of a Guardians 2.5. You get a Thor three and a half, three and three quarters uh, with this one too. So I'm going to go in a little bit different direction and kind of talk a little bit about the score and how um, I think Alan Silvestri did the music on this one and how they balance so many of the the different um, motifs for the different characters. So you have the Avengers theme sprinkled in liberally and of course you have the big avengers theme when uh thor rainbow bridges into wakanda but you also have a thanos theme uh going in uh, in this movie you have your your guardians introducing introduction to rubber band man which is just uh, uh terrific in 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 that moment and you also get there is a bit of an infinity war. There's a, there's a little bit of a, of a, of a theme that is unique to this movie that I can't quite put my finger on, but there's that one as well. Uh, and then you have the little, um, the little drums for the, the Wakanda introduction before you even see Wakanda, you, you hear it in the background. Uh, and remember that this came out, this was three months after black Panther. So everyone had just, gone nuts for Black Panther and now suddenly you get that little drum cadence that everyone's familiar with from just seeing that movie and be able to pick that up. But a lot of the the little audio cues and tricks are really good in this movie and really good at keeping the audience engaged in what is a pretty long movie and where there, as Dave mentioned, there isn't a ton of action for long stretches. So I think you do have a case where a lot of music is doing a little bit, a little bit of the heavy lifting in this movie. And then finally, John. Uh, the first time I saw this movie, within the first five minutes when Hulk is fighting Thanos, uh, it hit me. I was like, oh my God, they've made the Lord of the Rings of superhero movies. And at the time, I was thinking because it's so vast and epic and it's so grounded in these characters and I, I dare say making a classic that'll live for generations. But watching this again, I realized, no, it's like the Two Towers because I haven't seen a movie since then that gave less of a shit about setting up any characters whatsoever. Only Marvel could do this at this point. You could only do this after 20 successes. Just go, here are all our characters. We don't care if you don't know who they are. I had a good friend of mine, Beer Babe Jess, who's a uh, beer influencer and has been on Caffeinated Comics. Uh, her husband at the time made her watch it. And I said, well, what Marvel movies have you seen? She's like, Iron Man and I think Guardians. I was like, did you understand anything that happened in this movie? She's like, not one thing. <laughs> this is, it's so built in that you are all fans of this franchise you're coming into this franchise. There's no, there's no Star Wars opening scroll. There's no expositional uh, lines of like, as you know, when I got my spider powers, <laughs> you know, um, the only exposition they give is the exposition for that movie. Like, here's what the stones are. Here's what our plan is. Here's how we're getting Thanos. And uh, you can only do that when you, your audience is absolutely built in, you know, which is why. DC's never been able to do it, but I thought that was amazing. And um, 
But to your guys' point, I know several of you mentioned there are long stretches without action. This time I noticed there's a lot more aftermath of action than there is action. We open with the Asgardians already destroyed and Thanos walking among the wreckage. We hear that Xandar has been decimated. Xandar's a, a major planet in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's the one stone we don't even see him get. They're like, yeah, he got that. And um, when Thor goes to get his hammer made, that's all been destroyed and Peter Dinklage is the only one left. There's so much action in this movie that they can't even get on screen. That it's so packed, but it, it gives it that more funereal feel because as we know, spoilers, everyone's going to lose with Thanos in this. And you kind of have that dread through the entire movie. Uh, to me... I will say, um, and I echo all the sentiments that you guys have already expressed, especially Tom, when you talk about the the music, the music for Infinity War and Endgame is probably going to be some of the best stuff that Alan Silvestri will ever write. If you listen to Silvestri scores, he kind of tends to repeat himself a bit. Uh, listen to his score for The Predator and Back to the Future, the Back to the Future trilogy. The music sounds kind of similar. So he really dug deep here and pulled out some really original and memorable themes. Uh, the one thing, though, that does stick out to me every every time I rewatch this film is how well the special effects still hold up, even now. Because, um, you know, a lot of times we'll look like, let's say you look at the original Jurassic Park. We are so conditioned now to recognizing CGI when we see it, like the lower level stuff. We're not going to, it's not going to register with us as well as the high level stuff. And even the stuff that will come later after Infinity War, after Endgame, you can tell that Marvel is farming out a lot of projects to a lot of different effects companies that are, you know, working under deadline and might not necessarily be producing top level quality. The effects in Infinity War still hold up today. Looks incredible. And to the point about the characters, I remember when that movie came out and I had friends who hadn't seen any of the movies saying to me, okay, I've been hearing about it. I really want to see it, but what movies do I need to see beforehand so I understand? <laughs> And I would throw out, uh, watch Iron Man, uh, one of the Thor movies, and see like the last two Captain Americas, and I think you're fine, you know, at that point. You're set. Um, and the moment that will always, every time I see it, and it gets me right here, and John, I'm sure you'll agree with me, when uh, when uh, Peter Parker, when uh, uh, Tony Stark does the two-handed dot, dot, and on Peter's shoulders and goes, you're an Avenger. You know, I was like knighting him. Like he was joining the Knights of the Round Table. A moment, a huge character moment um, in the MCU because it will be many, many years before Peter Parker will join the Avengers in the comics. It's going to be a very long time. Yeah, well, for the longest time, Spider-Man was more popular than the Avengers. So it was seen as a step down. To put him in the Avengers would, would mean they couldn't do like a third solo title uh, and Marvel team up was always kind of their excuse. You know, yeah. Spider-Man wouldn't be on a team because, Hey, we have this book where he meets everybody. 
You know, he meets he meets guys you've never even heard of in the Marvel universe. But yeah, Tom Holland, he's had you know one and a half movies at this point, and he just owns that character so much that it just there's just a certain electricity when it cuts to that school bus and you see that Spider-Man is going to be involved in this. And of course, that's where they put the Stan Lee cameo. Yeah. Because, you know, because where they can, they'll put him closest to Spidey. Yeah. And it makes sense. And I remember when he, like, it was another one of those scenes where he goes and he, he's on the spaceship and he's going to go into space. And I remember people in the theater, like gasp, like people were like scared for Spider-Man because they finally cast, like, I know he's older now, Tom Holland, and he was, older than even this wasn't his first rodeo as spider-man but like they finally cast a guy as spider-man who looks like a kid you know it's not like toby mcguire trying to like shuffle around a high school be like no i belong here it's don't, don't look at me you know it's like they finally got a guy who looks like a little kid so when you see him go up there and you're like holy shit they're gonna find spider-man's gonna get killed you know it's like uh there was just a lot of like really well thought out well put together like the pairings of the groups of people they put together in the movie worked really well it was like everything you would want them to do it's like yes put dr strange and tony stark and spider-man in the same room and have them talk and it's just like yeah i could just watch that movie instead you know what i mean it's like everywhere they went was somewhere you wanted to see you know the guardians with thor was hilarious it's like um and to Dave's point earlier, it's like every time we were focused on a different character, it felt like that character's movie. When Captain America shows up leading the Secret Avengers, it feels like we're watching Captain America 3 or whatever it was at that point, or 4. You know what I mean? When we go to Guardians, it feels like this is Guardians 3. It feels like Thor 4. You know, it's like they, when we're chasing the hammer around or whatever, trying to find the new, like, weapon. So it's like they did a good job of not only just moving around uh, and keeping on your toes, because the movie as much as there are these scenes of no action, you're constantly moving. Cause it's like every time it's a new world, you know, well, we're going a little further, a little further, you know, literally a new world because we're, yeah. how many different planets do we visit in this Tons. movie? I mean, the locations are, it's like silly, you know, to the point where one of the locations was just space, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like they're poking fun at how many locations they're going to. I like that bit that, you know, the Russo's, First, they first introduce it in their in the Captain America movies in um, Winter Soldier, and then um, Civil War. That you know the title card that says whatever location they were in. Like, of course, in in the Captain America movies, it's all they were always on Earth. So right. it looks like those Jason Bourne political yeah. movies. Are, you know, boom, big thing up, bah, Wakanda, Washington D.C., you know, New York, whatever. At this point, yes, deep space. <laughs> right. Uh, nowhere. I love that one. Where it's nowhere. What's nowhere? Oh, it's yeah. Where is that? All right. um, very. Uh, I give the Russos credit, as you said, uh, Stephen, that they were able to keep the tone of each of the uh, characters' movies when the the scenes were um, on them, when the camera and the story was focusing on them. But and then when you have them all coming together, you get that great friction. You know characters meeting for the first time some of the best lines like when um <clears throat> when the guardians and tony stark and dr strange meet for the first time <laughs> tell us what master do you serve <laughs> peter krugels what, what am i supposed to say jesus <laughs> like that I, like uh, that that's pretty funny i i will never not love the 
I don't know how to describe that emotion, but other than joy and longing when Peter Parker picks up on the Footloose reference. Oh, yeah. First meet. Yeah. And they said, like, I had a dance off, save the universe. And Peter Parker was like, dance off? What? You mean like Footloose? It's like, exactly like Footloose. Like, like he somehow became very fulfilled. Yeah, but my favorite is the follow-up to that where, where Peter Quill goes, is this still the greatest movie ever made? And Peter goes, never was. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a Kevin Bacon reference in this because when they uh, when they mentioned the Avengers, they're like Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I think Mantis says, like Kevin Bacon? Oh. Like, wow, they really <laughs> thread the Kevin Bacon story <laughs> through up to the holiday special. And they do they even reference it of the of the um, you know when when Tony is confronting Ebony Maw on the, on the ship, and then they said like, "Well, you know, da, 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 da. And he says, "Yeah, but the kid has seen more movies because they just pull out the Alien." Oh yeah, the reference from Alien there, and they I think at one point Tony has to tell me if you reference another movie, I think he threatens him or something like that if he makes another movie reference. But yeah, that's like Tom Holland. Hey, Could you? Could you imagine if it was uh, Toby Maguire fading into dust at the end, how different the emotional reaction would be? Yeah, I don't think it would have worked. I, I think that's kind of like the it's like this movie couldn't and shouldn't have worked. You know, it's like there are too many moving pieces. There were too many different things that could have gone wrong. But it's like it started with like casting and it's like everything just lined up perfectly. Like putting all those people in the same room, it was like it was you were only going to get magic because they cast really good, solid people who understood the characters or took the characters and adapted them in such a way where they would work. And it's like, it's, it's, it's like, it's, and you can't get it again. You know what I mean? Marvel isn't going to be able to do something like this again. I don't think we're going to be able to see, um, you know, I, I think um, Marvel will be able to make more moments hit in the future. But I think something like this, it's like, it's like, it's like uh, you, you only kind of got to, to be around for it the first time. And even like, I've talked to people who haven't seen like any of these movies who just aren't like Marvel fans. And like, they can't now, it won't work. What we, they won't get out of it. What we all did. The people who watched these movies as they were released, like who went to go see Iron Man one when it was in theaters and were going to see all these movies. It's like, uh, you could watch all these tomorrow or over the next course of the year, having never seen them before. And it won't hit as hard as it did um having this kind of happen like live you know what i mean because it was just such a long time in the making like thanos was just like a throwaway thing at the end of avengers and then to see him and he shows up and you're like okay he's really here now he's not just some shadowy figure in the back of guardians you know he's he's here you know it was just like they just they really really pulled it off like beyond my wildest imaginings you know yeah there were so many moving pieces as you said and the fact that they all seem to be in the right order, there were many, many, many versions of this script. Yeah, this, like yeah, editing in, this movie would have been an absolute nightmare. Because what do you cut? You know what I mean? What gets cut out of this movie? Yeah, and when, and also the pacing, just the way things moved around and who was going to be in what's seen it and how long. Like I noticed we left Doctor Strange and Iron Man for a half an hour. And yeah. right about yeah. the time you're like, wow, we haven't seen them in a while, they come back immediately. It's like there was so much work structuring that. And I think it, I always thought it was unfair that they called this Avengers Infinity War. I, I thought that was a marketing move because Avengers made the most money at that point. Yeah. Because this is the first Marvel the crossover, crossover event. Yeah. 
Because it's not an Avengers movie. Half these guys aren't Avengers. Yeah, the Guardians don't become <laughs> Avengers. Spider-Man does, as we said. Right. But but it it is laid out like the best crossover stories. Um, and we were saying right before we went on the air, you know, Jim Starlin's Infinity Gauntlet, which then became a trilogy, the Infinity War and the Infinity Crusade, were these huge, huge events. But they used nothing from those stories. All right, John, John, before before you get into the next segment, which I was about to introduce, thank you. Oh, that's a segment. <laughs> it's a segment for 2023. We're calling it We Got Issues. And this is basically we're going to highlight the comics that could or would have influenced the film. So um, go on. I know John and Stephen – uh, we, we Yes, we did talk about this before we came on air about what books actually were used into um, putting this together. I remember in one of the making of featurettes, I've seen the um, Russos, and I think there's a bit where the Russos and Kevin Feige show, like, they have a huge omnibus of Avengers mm-hmm. comics. And that, that omnibus, they, has, they show all these little post-it notes in it. Like, like from this, apparently there are different issues in that book that they wanted to pull from or that inspired things from the film. But having gone back and read, reread Infinity Gauntlet and Infinity War, I only figured, I only saw one particular uh, scene that step, uh, uh, jumped out at me. Stephen, is there, was there anything um, that you've known from the comics that really uh, influenced this film? Yeah, the, the biggest thing, everyone would think Infinity Gauntlet just because it's kind of a movie they were making, but it bears very little to John's point to the actual like comic. I mean, the snap at the is like, kind of like the most famous thing from the movie and the comic, and that's replicated pretty exactly. Um, like that he, the fact that he does it, I was very surprised that they actually did it and was like shocked when they did. Um, but Jonathan Hickman had a run on Avengers and a lot of the material they pulled for like all of Thanos's like henchmen come from that run. The, uh, the, I can't remember the dark riders. I think they're called. They're like the little goblin things that he sends after the Wakandans. Those things are, um, pu- pulled from that run. Uh, I think Jim Chung created most of those characters, if I'm not mistaken, the artist. Um, yeah, and that's a good point, Steven. Uh, Jonathan Hickman's run is only maybe, three to five years older than this movie. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like they're taking a classic, like yeah. the X-Men kept trying to redo Dark Phoenix Saga. Right. And it's the, not like something that fans grew up with and wanted to do. It was just, hey, this recent story really worked. Right. And when I say it's like it's based on, it's not. It's only based on it in the sense where it's like, that's where all of Thanos's like henchmen come from and the Dark Rider characters. Um, the comic is largely like a two pronged story where one of it is Thanos coming to earth because all the Avengers are off the planet fighting like a space war and Thanos comes to earth cause it doesn't have any Avengers and, uh, he's uh, attacking black bolt and like the inhumans. And like, obviously that's not at all this movie. So, um, I think that's actually something that I, watching the movie post having seen Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, we go to this movie in that movie, but we go there with black bolt and different characters. It's not all the same group of people confronting Thanos on Titan. So that was also interesting to see post, you know what I mean? I'm on the other side of both movies now going back to watching a movie that preceded it. And we're visiting the scene. This like battle on Titan, which now is like, 
it appears like a classic scene now. It's like anytime anyone shows the throne room for Star Wars, it's like, oh, this is where Luke and Vader fight and Vader throws the Emperor off the cliff. You know what I mean? It's like, it, these are iconic like sets now. And I think the dark orange sky with like the ruins around them and the broken fucked up looking spaceship or whatever it was in the back. It's like, when we go there, we know where we are. You know what I mean? As like sci-fi movie going nerd people. And I think it's like uh, Thanos was became like a Darth Vader for an entire generation. You know, he's think of where John just held up like a Thanos toy before we recorded. It's like those That's are another everywhere. Segment. Those are everywhere. You know what I mean? It's like uh, he's as popular as Darth Vader. It's crazy. How much you want to credit Josh Brolin's performance for that? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because this is the guy that like broke the streak of just the lame Marvel villains. You know what I mean? It's like Marvel's come out with 20 movies, right? And there's maybe a handful of good villains. There's maybe five, you know, and it's like, this guy's one of them. My favorite quote about Thanos was Steven saying he can't be Thanos because he's cable. Yeah. (laughs) But I think he was, wasn't he Thanos before he was Cable? So I think he, it was, he can't be Cable. Well, he yeah, it was Cable before, yeah, he was Thanos he, before he was Cable. Deadpool 2 is before Infinity War. Mm. But he had done, like, the Guardians. Yeah. And you're like, everybody's gonna get all confused. And I'm like, I'm like, everybody was a human torch in the MCU. That's true. But Killmonger too, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that, uh, since uh, you already referenced it, Stephen, why don't we go into that segment? Uh, what toys, uh, John, uh, were released in uh, in celebration or in joint of uh, Avengers Infinity War? Avengers Infinity War is really interesting because um, we're in Marvel Legends. Basically, every movie we talk about from now on when we talk about the toys, it's Marvel Legends. They had given up on trying to do the smaller sizes. There's not a lot of play sets. There's not a lot of board games. There's not a lot of vehicles. So we're really focused on the six-inch figures. But Infinity War it was a little conservative. I think they didn't want a lot of spoilers. So the set had, you know, uh, Iron Man in his new outfit. It had Cap in his new outfit. It had Spider-Man. It was the A-listers. And then the Builder figure was Thanos. And uh, at the time, we didn't realize it, but this was only the Infinity War Thanos. We assumed this was the Thanos we were getting. But when we get to Endgame, his look will be very different. Uh, but because Infinity War, to your point, Stephen, was instantly iconic, I made me think of, uh, again, of Lord of the Rings. It was probably the last time I was sitting in the movie theaters going like, I'm seeing iconic scenes that are film history right here. You know, it's that which is not a film, not a, not really a feeling I got from like the Batman or the Spider-Man movies, as good as they are. But Infinity War had such a long life that Hasbro just kept coming back to them. And then they did another three-pack with Thanos and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. There was a a Vision and Wanda two-pack that came out in the very last days of Toys R Us. So uh, that's very, very hard to find because there just weren't stores to even put it up on the shelves. And I think we're still getting figures from that era. Uh, You know, this was such a big moment and it had everybody in it. It's like star Wars where you could just keep going back to that movie and finding more and more characters to make. And again, if you're listening to the show on the radio misfits podcast network, you're unable to see 
the figures as John shows them on our video live stream. Um, if you do want to watch our videos and you have missed the live stream, we do have an archive of every show on our Facebook and YouTube pages. So just go to facebook.com slash MCU Review, R-E-V-U, and search for MCU Review on YouTube, where, again, every video uh, show, every live stream has been recorded and archived for you to watch. And you'll see, of course, um, <clears throat> not only the toys, but the cocktails that Thomas has created for us. And... Um, just all the things that happen on a video live stream that you just don't see otherwise, like somebody's cat appearing at one point, or or even or my dog, child. or a child, or my dog. Who or someone out. eats four tacos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's been done. So, um, yes, by all means, uh, feel free to check out uh, previous shows on our video channels. Uh, all right, so let's dive a little bit deeper into um, Avengers Infinity War. I want to say there's a reason why this movie, I think, worked so well. Uh, what were some of the elements uh, that really worked for you? Let's say some of your favorite moments. We'll start with you again, Stephen. Uh, well, I think on rewatching it, um, I think... I remember watching them initially and remembering the distance we had between civil war and this movie. Um, Cause I think black Panther was before that. And I don't know what else was in there, but you know, it took time. Um, and I think getting, watching the characters getting back together was great. There's a scene where like the uh, caps Avengers walk back into the mansion and it's a uh, roadie there and he's talking with Ross and it's like, you're just seeing it's like all the pieces have been put together now. So now all the pieces are interacting in ways we haven't seen before. You know, we get to see Thunderbolt Ross, who's in this movie for like eight seconds, but it furthers that storyline along of like, oh yeah, he's the guy that the records and everything. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it was just like, it was the Marvel machine, like firing on all cylinders. You know what I mean? They had landed all this groundwork. This was, it was time for them to just play. And it was just this movie and the movie that came after it was just them just playing with all the toys and um, things worked in ways really, really well when they started mixing some of the characters together. And it wasn't, um, I, I think it's like, I feel like we were pushing this like boulder up the hill, up the hill, up the hill, constantly Thanos, constantly Thanos. And it really paid off at the end. Now my worry is that we don't have anything that's going to be, they're not going to be able to hit that high again, is that they plateaued with the infinity movies and war and Endgame together. And that we won't be able to kind of push this back up again. I'm excited for Kang and everything else they've teased, but I, it's like this level of excitement and buildup is like I said earlier, I don't know that they'll be able to kind of achieve this again. Um, and, but I think a lot of that goes to they got such the right people to play these roles. Like uh, Josh Brolin did an incredible job as Thanos. He's one of the like all-time best villains in cinema. It's like he did a really good job. It's like all the main Avengers came back and did really good jobs. It's like they got a great Spider-Man. It's like the Guardians were great. Um, 
it's like everyone was singing their songs perfectly on pitch. I mean, uh, to your point, whoever said it earlier that this was right after we saw Black Panther. And then this movie felt like a sequel to Black Panther already, you know, because it was like it was the same guys, you know, it was the same stuff. It was everything looked the same. So um, it's like just pulling off what they pulled off by putting all this kind of together and pulling the trigger and making it work as well as it did they should be like a commended for that alone you know because what else do you compare this to in cinema history you know what i mean that has this much build up for it i i'm like you know what i mean even if you don't give a shit about comics or whatever this was like a cinematic like feat you know give credit to the russos too especially with the black panther bits because if you watch again the making of featurettes they were very receptive to the black panther cast about a lot of things that went on with the characters and and again, the atmosphere and, and the world of Wakanda that they were, you know, they took it in. They said, this is what, you know, we would do and how it would work. And they were very, you know, open and used it. Dave. I think one of the moments that stands out for me, uh, it's fairly early in the movie, but when um, Spider-Man is, is being pulled up into space and Tony Stark launches the, the new mech suit at him. Uh, I just love the design of that suit. It's kind of like the the Ben Riley suit from the comics. Um, and that's just such a cool, that was one of those moments I remember when seeing it in theaters, everyone cheered and he's got this really cool, badass new. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little Ben Riley and it's a little Iron Spider. It's like, it's like this mix of several different suits. Yeah. He yeah. never, at, at, at this point, like the Infinity War story, it's like, we'll nod towards the classic comic moments, but we're not going to repeat any of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think uh, another moment that stands out, I, at least I remember getting a big crowd reaction um, in theaters. When I saw this was the return of uh, the red skull later in the film. Oh, and I yeah. did not realize till I think a couple years later that that was not uh, Hugo weaving no. playing or at least doing the voice. Um that was a cool, again, just kind of tying things together and, you know, reminding you of something from a much earlier in the that, franchise. That's a really good point. Cause I remember like, I like obsessed over the early Marvel stuff when it was coming out. And I remember thinking like the Red Skull teleported somewhere. He teleported somewhere. Don't just write this dude off. And it was such a surprise when he comes back and whoever they got to do the voice. And- it was uh, one of the guys from the walking dead. Ross yeah. Martin. I remember yeah, hearing that. Like- big impressionist yeah, yeah and he does such a good job but it's like it works so well for it's like of course this is where he ended up you know what i mean and it's, it's like it just works so well it fits so perfectly and it was another one of those like theater reactions where it's just like people were just like i lost their minds you know <laughs> yeah yeah i gotta say they did um i felt like oh, benicio del toro despite not having a huge part in the, the few films he was in was much much better used in these movies than he was in The Last Jedi. <laughs> Strong disagree there, but that's for another show. Yeah, let's... Uh, okay. For another show, but strong disagree. Dave, Dave's all about the Star Wars callbacks today. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he was best used in License to Kill, but that's... that's well, yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> Uh, again, folks, if you want to hear uh, our opinions on the Bond movies, well, that show is exclusively on our Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash shaken, not heard. Uh, and then you'll find the show that inspired the MCU review. And uh, 
Dave and I have lots of great conversations, not only about the Bond films, but uh, the comics and other licensed properties. And that's when we first meet Tom um, on our uh, Drinks of James Bond episode, which would lead to the partnership that we have now. Yes. So, a lot of fun. So if you want to see the early, the early genesis of the, this type of show, check out Shaken, Not Heard. Which leads me to you, Tom. Um, we talk a lot about the music from um, from Avengers: Infinity War. Uh, what other things kind of stood out? Really, come back to you. Okay. Um, this movie is this movie is so densely woven. There's so much going on that it it's like. Um, it's like an ex- expansive, uh, like a like a big painting on the wall, like one of those uh, one, um, giant canvases, like a um, like a Jacques Louis David or or a um, um, see now, or, now you know how or, I feel or, when or, I can't remember the name of an actor from right a movie. or or <laughs> uh, or uh, Delacroix or 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 or. Or Delacroix, like a oh, of course. How could you forget Delacroix? Oh. I I forgot Delacroix. All um, I could think of was Joe Rubenstein drawing everybody running on the handbook to the Marvel Universe. Yeah, see, this is why <laughs> it's like why that because there they are and they're all running. <laughs> um, so it's very dense and it's hard to drill down to specific. Sometimes the specific details can get lost because you just you're just seeing the whole tapestry. But if I could drill it down to a couple of things, is one of the things I went nuts for in the theater was the Thor rainbow bridges into Wakanda because you have that great kind of feeling of everything is going terrible. Everybody's going to die. And even though we know how this movie ends and if you knew anything about the comics, you probably had a sense of how this movie was going to end, you know, it, hence this, the feeling of kind of ongoing dread over the course of the movie. And you know, the fact that the movie treats Thanos as the protagonist, um, but you get that little bit of glimmer of hope. I was like, it really does seem for a minute there when Thor puts the full lightning behind Stormbreaker that maybe they're going to pull it off. And that's something that, that really stuck out to me. The other thing that I could say that stuck out, and we mentioned the Red Skull, that that whole sequence between Thanos and Gamora, that's kind of new. You have you have the, the various Thanos references sprinkled in a little bit over in the Guardians movies, but nothing quite like that. And we can talk about how many references and callbacks and how much groundwork this movie, how how much the all the movies that the MCU had made going into this movie, and how much this movie is relying on that. But it also does a lot of things that are new, and this very in depth dive into the relationship between Gamora and Thanos and Thanos and uh, Nebula is something we hadn't quite seen and great work by Zoe Saldana great work by Joss Brolin in that scene of I remember like watching that in the theater and Zoe Saldana looks up almost in tears and saying you asked the universe for something and it told you no and it's dead quiet there's no mu- and for 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 a movie that had been all about music, wall of sound from moment go, it's dead quiet. 
So that's something that really stuck up. I don't think that quite has the emotional pull. We talked about how, you know, as Marvel isn't going to necessarily pull this off again. We talked about how DC is going to pull this off, not been able to pull this off again. How can you compete with that? Where you're able to drop the score down to zero and just have a quiet moment between two characters and, and have it played off so well. It's in terms of skill and craft and everything they had to do with something the audience wasn't necessarily familiar with, even if you had seen all the other movies, superb work by the Russos and, and by the actors in, in that scene. Especially when, again, you watch the behind the scenes featurettes and they show the actors actually in the scene working that out. And you've got Josh Berlin like standing on a platform with like a cardboard cutout of Thanos over his head because that's supposed to be the eye line that the actor is supposed to be following. And you're like, how? I would be like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, I feel ridiculous here. Exactly that. The acting, and that's the other thing. Not only do the special effects hold up, but the acting in this movie, again, across the board, um, just just um, is superior. Uh, John, I can't help but think about when um, Peter Quill goes, wait, did did we lose? Yeah, this. Uh, although this movie, I realize it now, this is where I stopped caring about Peter Quill. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> stopped caring about Peter Quill. <laughs> like, even in the holiday special, he's just like a reactionary character. I was like, I don't care about you. <laughs> you, you got half the universe snapped. <laughs> Because because you had to throw a fit. I still will never understand why Doctor because Doctor Strange does the portal thing to take off the henchman's hand in New York. Why he didn't do that with the whole Infinity Gauntlet? Because it has to land somewhere. So <laughs> he saw eight million different variables. I mean, New- I guess did he see the variable where he portals off Thanos's head? <laughs> I mean that you know. Thanos is really, really strong. He's a lot stronger than his henchmen. Yeah, but it's like a portal, and you're sending one of his portals. You're sending his head like thirty feet in a different direction, and his body is going to stay there. He's strong, but nobody's that strong. I mean, we'll learn later on in What If that uh, the Ultron um, with the Infinity Gauntlet can cut Thanos in half. Oh yeah, that was hilarious. So you know, but that's only funny because you've seen this movie, right? Uh, that, that's the other thing, too, about this movie, because uh, we've talked about this on previous episodes. Now, if you really want to, you can sit down and binge all the movies on Disney Plus mm. And just, you know, if you want to have that experience of boom, 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 boom. Uh, John, what would you say? Let's say I don't want I have friends who want to watch these movies. What are the must see like leading up to Infinity War? You want to really get understand this movie what are the must-see films of of the first uh, was it 20 yeah i i would say it's a safe bet to see the first appearance of the major characters it, it all depends because somebody somebody might say i only want to see two movies i don't want to wait, wait 10 movies like it would be nice to see iron man one captain america one thor one i think um the plot points in this movie that are really talked about are Guardians of the Galaxy, Civil War, and Ragnarok. Those are, are 
the most important. And um, even movies that are great, you don't have to see Spider-Man Homecoming for this. You don't have to see um, uh, Winter Soldier for this. If you just want the plot. But, but the whole point of this is that this is a movie that assumes you're already in love with the characters. And if you are in love with the characters, you want to see every opportunity of something they do. I think it's much harder now, post Endgame, to decide what do you need to see because it is Marvel. Ha- uh, you know, as Tim was saying, like they're not going to be able to ring this bell twice. So a lot of people have said, "Oh, Marvel's been really aimless since," and I don't know that they're heading to a straight line. I don't know that Secret Wars is going to be the be all end all. They seemed way more interested in bringing out the C and D list characters and seeing what sticks, you know, um, Marvel phase one would not have had a werewolf by night special and then a Shang-Chi movie and then a moon Knight series. So um, it's much, it's much harder now to say, Oh, you need to watch this and this and this and this, but I would give somebody the same reasons. Like how much do you like these characters? And really there's no bad ones. I mean, Thor Dark World is the worst. And it's not terrible. It's just boring. Yeah. <laughs> there's things in, like, even some of the really bad ones, there's always something, like, good in it. Usually there's, like, some good scenes or good character interactions. I remember trying to tell, like, I told my roommates uh, when Ragnarok came out, I was like, you guys should watch this. This is really good. It's not like the other Thor movies. And they said, okay, sure, we'll take a shot. We'll watch it. What else do we need to know? I said, well, you already saw the other two Thor movies, so you're good. There's nothing else you need to see to watch this movie. We sat down, we're watching the movie, and then fucking Doctor Strange shows up. Like, <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? And I completely forgot he was in the movie, so I was like, all right. So we had to pause the movie, and then I explained who the fuck this guy was so that they could watch the movie that I told them they didn't need to see anything else to watch. You know? It's and like- when you go back, you realize Doctor Strange doesn't do anything. Like, all he does, all he does is say where Odin is, and yeah. Thor thinks he knows where Odin is. If you right. remove that Doctor Strange section. He's in it just to be in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like you introduce the character in one movie, so he shows up in the next movie. You know, it's like they introduce the Falcon in the one movie, and then he fights Ant-Man in his movie. Well, they because they will, uh, Thor shows up in the post credit scene in Doctor Strange, the first Doctor Strange. So, yeah, you have to have like a payoff, you know, from right. there. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's when we look when we go back and we look at it, we go, "Oh, that seemed kind of gratuitous or shoehorned." But it was so new to us. We're like, yeah. "Oh my god, did you see that post credit scene? Thor and Doctor Strange together. Oh my god." Yeah. yeah, it's like it's it's almost now. It's like I don't need post credit scenes anymore. You almost like I... okay, no, you shut your. No, I, I want my post credits. Sometimes seats. I want to go to the bathroom. Yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of like <laughs> I'm good. We don't need it. And the sodas are large. I would say I need I need post credit scenes of like substance. You know, right, a right, lot of times right, the post credit yeah. scenes is like, hey, here's some dumb shit we thought would land and it doesn't. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, Hulk's got a kid. It's like, fuck you. You know, <laughs> I don't care about that. I want to see something of actual like consequence. You know what I mean? But that was a TV show. You could pause that. You don't have to worry about going to the bathroom on television. I mean, it was. Oh, I'm just movies. saying it's like if you're going to do it, have a reason for it beyond it's like, well, here's the thing we do. We got to check the box. It's like. I'm not here to just have you check a bunch of boxes when you're making content. It's like, that's why things like werewolf by night, which I haven't seen, but I assume was a little bit different than some of the other stuff Marvel's put out lately. 
is pretty different. Yeah. And, then, and and then when you have movies where people talk more about the post credit scene in the movie itself, eh, like Morbius or any Venom film, yeah. you know. Well, the post credit yeah, scene of Love and Thunder was better than nobody that wants movie. to talk about Morbius. Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. to, it's the same reason nobody talks. Nobody wants to. Re, nobody wants to talk about Black Adam. Yeah, we we Ellie and I talked about Black Adam till we were red in the face. <laughs> So but yeah, more, people talk about Morbius post credit scene in the same way they talk about Morbius. They hated it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got Michael Keaton, or did you? <laughs> I was listening to uh, How Did This Get Made, which I'm really mad I didn't go to. They were in Chicago. They did Morbius at the Chicago Theater. And I kept thinking about going, thinking about going, but the podcast came out. And uh, Jason Manzuka says, the only good thing in this movie is Matt Smith. <laughs> and Paul Shear goes, shut up, you Doctor Who nerd. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you just started watching Doctor Who. Matt Smith is not helping this movie. <laughs> Matt, Matt Smith is very good in, in uh, uh, was it uh, Last Night in Soho. He's very mm. good. That's good now. That's, but he's playing like creeps now. That's like his new thing. Yeah, he looks creepy, you know. No, I think I, I would I would pitch him as Bond. He, after seeing him in that, I thought, oh, he'd be a good Bond. I'm, I'm saying that to pull Dave in, who I unmuted himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Avengers, the big rumor this week was Aaron Taylor Johnson. So, which I would be okay with him as Bond. Although I'm going to have an existential crisis when they cast a Bond actor who's younger than I am. <laughs> That's the same reason Frank Miller did Dark Knight Returns was because he he turned 35 or 30 or whatever. And yeah. DC said Batman's 30 years old or Batman's 27 or whatever. And he said he couldn't abide writing a Batman that was younger than him. So he made him <laughs> older. <laughs> that's the pain of that's, being a Spider-Man fan. That's, yeah. <laughs> I remember going, when I grew up and moved to Manhattan like Peter. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, John, except you grew up and moved away from Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, not my choice. <laughs> oh, you know, goodness. by the time I moved away from Manhattan, it was like the Spider-Girl era. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. You were with the dad bod. Yeah. <laughs> Oh goodness! Uh, I I don't I didn't think we'd get into things like dad bot on the show today. So well, you know, sometimes you got to go where the show goes. <laughs> oh, we talk about Peter Quill's relative dad bot in this movie. As we talk about Chris Pratt slowly morphing back into Andy Dwyer, but. and they they pointed out I was surprised he was yeah like, I was surprised he was okay with. Uh, with Rocket calling him one sandwich away from fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's part of that interactions on on the ship of the 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 guardians and with the. I mean, Th Thor is so perfect to drop into that into that group of into that group of people. I forgot that the scene with Drax just standing still eating the potato chip is in this movie. I could have sworn that that was in like a Guardians movie, but it's not. It's in this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, James Gunn rewrote a lot of the Guardians dialogue because they want he wanted it to be as authentic as possible, and but I that, feel like that's yeah. a scene he just had. Yeah, but that, we can go again to Marvel just being so good at collaborating. Yeah, like well, you it's smart, the... right? They've got their guys that they trust, and they let James Gunn build a brand, and his brand right. was Guardians, and they let uh, the Russos build their brand, and their brand was Captain America, and they let Taika Waititi build his brand, and his brand was Thor. 
you know, so you got to see all these different people build how they wanted their characters to be treated. And then Marvel doing the smartest thing any movie studio has done in 30 years was listening to the people who know what the fuck they're doing and letting them make that movie, you know? Although didn't they, wasn't that a bit of an issue early on? Well, I mean, I don't know if this was uh, the Feige regime. I think, uh, what's his face? Uh, Ike Perlmutter. Pearl, around In the beginning when um, Joss, we, uh, when um, Edgar Wright would be kind of forced off of Ant-Man. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not without its problems. I think it's like Marvel Studios is a meat grinder. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you're either going to get crushed up by this thing or you're going to make it through. And I think uh, guys like Joss Whedon didn't want to play ball. You know? Yeah. It's well, like some guys the just did The Roosters were so successful was they were TV guys. And even though Whedon was a TV guy, Whedon was in charge of his show. The yeah. Roosters would direct an episode of Community and leave. You know, leave it off to other people. Orders from producers of how their final product is going to be made. Uh, that makes me, you know, again, moving forward, we'll, we'll talk about, um, we have two more movies to get into before we get into Endgame, but it, I can't help but think, you know, what, comparing this to, we know, like the next Avengers movie is going to be the Kang Dynasty. Then after that will be uh, Civil Wars. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Secret Wars. So I'm guessing they're going to do kind of that same thing where Kang Dynasty, things finally like break apart completely and we'll have multiverses and upon multiverses. And that's when you can start recasting Black Panther if you want Um, or start introducing other characters like the X-Men or the Fantastic Four. Even beyond this, I mean, there's uh, there are memes going around about who the next big bad is going to be beyond Kang. You've got first you started off with um, Thanos, then Kang. Who's after that? Um, who's left? Um, Galactus. No, I'm just saying the big, big bad. Yeah, Doctor Doom's pretty big. I think he's your biggest bad. I yeah, I think like true. he gets his. Doctor Doom is the guy that mugs Galactus and steals the power cosmic. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like this guy doesn't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where we can we bring in the topic of the the the, the Marvel needing a big bad because prior to it, the whole idea of Marvel needs a big bad only exists because of this movie because for the previous seven no, twenty eight this movie came out in twenty eighteen uh, for the previous decade before them Marvel didn't really have a big bad like you had Thanos show up in a like one scene in Guardians. And a couple of post-credit sequences, but you always knew that it was building towards him. You always knew Did, he was kind of lurking. Yeah, but that. that's not in. That's not part of the movies. That's part of the press surrounding the movies. They told you that Thanos was the big bad because they told you that they were going to do the Infinity Saga. Hmm. That if you look at the movies themselves, you get you get Thanos at the end of. Um, the first Avengers movie, and then he shows up again in Guardians, and then he shows up again in what? In um, was that at the end? That was at the end of Civil War. I think it was Age of Ultron. Was it Ultron? He shows up. He sticks the glove, and yeah. the final do it myself. Um, so he's shown up three times for a grand total, probably of about four minutes. And he's not terribly mentioned in other movies apart from necessarily the Guardians franchise is, is really just a part of Gamora's backstory. So yeah, this, and Drax's. This, and Drax's, but the, well, no, Drax's family was killed by uh, Ronan the Accuser. 
Yeah, but he also said that he Rodin was under orders from Thanos. Yeah, that's a tag at that's a tag at the right. end. Like this, this, in, yeah. this idea that Marvel needs a big bad to kind of function and build hype for each subsequent movie, I I think is just exists because we've seen Infinity War. Because Infinity War was really good. If Infinity War had been like Justice League, it would you wouldn't get that for the MCU. Yeah, Marvel is very guilty of kind of always relying on like the formula, you know. So Infinity War is the big success. I think that's the problem is now they're going to try to replicate it and you're not going to be able to catch lightning in a bottle again. And I think it's bad that people are already I didn't know. I don't spend a lot of time online these days. I didn't know people are already speculating. Ooh, what's the next big villain after Kang? And it's like, that's a problem that we're already leapfrogging the next villain who hasn't even like officially appeared in like a movie right. yet. You know, I know he was in a show or teased or whatever in Loki, but it's like, it feels to me like we're, if we're, I don't want to live in a constantly looking forward to the next thing. I want to look forward to the thing that's coming, not the thing right. that's after that. And I think that's problematic for, um, for Marvel. If people already like, cause you will run out of good villains eventually, you know what I mean? But that still could be a, a considerable ways away, depending on how they handle themselves. Because well, they used to have the habit of just kind of, you know, killing the villain at the end. And now we're in a space where they keep the villains around so we can get something like the Thunderbolts or whatever. Right. Well, they just need to make good movies. Yeah. They don't need to worry about, like, having great villains that come around. They just got to make a good movie. Yeah, but I think you need a good villain to make a good vil- a good movie. You know, it's like the Avengers, the first Avengers work because Loki was such a good villain. You know, yeah, the second point. Avengers didn't work as well because what's-his-name is the robot was just kind of – it didn't work. You know what I mean? It, it's like there was something there, but it wasn't enough. You know? It didn't quite come together. Yeah, I, yeah. Right. They had, like, the the ingredients were all there, I think. Tom, what you're arguing, and don't don't get me wrong, I I kind of I'm on your side here. That's the art we've talked about this before. That's the argument that a lot of comic book readers have. That just give me my books that have good stories. I don't need to lead up to something big. I don't need there to be a huge crossover. I just want give me my good stories in the books that I read. Um, and, but the the publishers at Marvel will say, well, it sells when it's a big event, and uh, and I'm going to tell you in the MCU, they that's let's be honest, we rewarded <laughs> Marvel Studios by giving them huge box office when they do this story, when they plot out this story over so many films, and then the Avengers movies where everything comes together and boom, because yeah. again, first Avengers. The first Avengers movie is the first time we have all these different characters together. That was Marvel's first billion-dollar maker. And then after that, Infinity War, Endgame, we're talking two, three billion. I mean, we're talking it's now the Avengers movies are expected to make billions of dollars. If they don't crack, crack a billion at least, they need to make, let's say, they need to make Avatar money at this point. And Avatar, by the way, is approaching two billion in uh, three weeks of release. So yeah, that's how it's ratcheted up. And I think, too, there's an expectation from the audience for that, too. Mm. Mo- the movie, while the comic book folks get tired, if you're reading comics, you're getting tired of the crossovers. With the movies, you're like, no, I want. I, when's the next crossover? Who's the next big bad? I want to know who it is. Tell me that. And then, yeah, and as you said, Stephen, oh, we're already we're already thinking, because I've, I've already plotted it out in my head. Kang is, Kang we're dealing with now. After that, you can do Galactus or Doctor Doom. And you know what? When you finally bring the X-Men in, Okay, 
you can finally do the Dark Phoenix Saga the right way. A third time. A th- third time's a charm. <laughs> and that'll end everything. And that'll end everything. Of, yeah. But yeah. by then, we'll all be, it'll be like 40 years from now, so it won't matter. <laughs> I think getting Dark Phoenix right at this point is like dividing by zero. It's probably not even possible. Possible. <laughs> but see, by that point, it'll be on Disney+. Plus. It'll be on Disney Infinity, which will be beamed directly into your head, you know, via neural transport, because that's how far to, you know, far away that that's all going to happen. So, you know, <laughs> Whew. Wow. anybody out there disagree? Susan Lehman. <laughs> There's a lot of very, I guess you could call it depressing incentivizing. <laughs> <laughs> built into this entire process it's true though it's true it's that's what people it's all you hear that what is the biggest like, complaint capitalism right now? really like sucks sometimes i know but yeah. that's the it, we've yeah. talked about this the yeah. biggest complaint right now about the marvel films and series like well we don't know where this is going it doesn't seem to have any focus to it where is this headed what's going to happen how does this fit in the, the next avengers film when are we getting another avengers that's that's what fandom now is expecting, and that's why you know a, a part of it. As hmm. <laughs> hate to say it, this movie that we're talking about today set that expectation. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of where it all like started because it was like the big like beginning of the end for kind of everything they had been working towards, and I do think they're in kind of a weird position. Because nothing they've done has seemed like it did really well. You know, everything does okay. You know, it seems like every time I ask somebody, did you like this? They're like, yeah, I loved it. Then the next person tells me I hated it. You know, so it's like, I don't know if there's like a consensus now, like there was on some of this previous stuff with Marvel in terms of like fan reception. And I think it's, they have enough awareness to where they kind of poke fun at themselves and make jokes about it. You know, She-Hulk had that bit about them making fun of kind of the MCU in it at the end. And then there was a joke from one of the characters at some point asking, like, everyone keeps asking me where are the Avengers and I don't know where they are and I don't know who the Avengers are. And because I don't think the MCU, like, I don't think Kevin Feige knows who the Avengers are. You know what I mean? I think Next it's like, I hope he knows who they are and I hope he has it figured out. But it's like, it does seem like they don't have a plan because it seems like, it seems like everything is building up to something, but nothing, no, no two things are building up to the same thing. And it seems like just nothing's on the same page, but they're all leading in different directions. And I feel like that um, it's like, uh, I don't know that we necessarily need a focus to your point, Elliot. I don't disagree that I think it's, it'd be bad if we're all, if everything drives towards one thing, I think that's problematic because it's, it's not natural that everything would just point drive towards one thing like that. It's like, this was like maybe a one-time thing we should have done. You know, and then it's like the rest of the movies and the shows can kind of be their own thing and we can come together for the big crossover movies. But like not everything Daredevil doesn't need to go into space and fight Thanos. You know, it's like it doesn't make any sense. So it's like, you know, they need to maybe um, silo things a bit more. You know what I mean? It's not to say that Daredevil can't show up for a big fight somewhere if it's in New York. But if like it's like anywhere else, it's like, what is he doing? You know? You've already you've you've already shot down my next pitch for Marvel, uh, uh, Stephen. Cosmic Daredevil. I want to have I yeah. want to have Daredevil in space. Come on, 
Yeah. We got Bond in space. Why not? <laughs> what does echolocation have to bounce off of in space? You know what I mean? It's a oh, void. He's got, he's got cosmic awareness now, mm. like Captain Marvel. Mm. Cosmic awareness. No, it's it's Matt Murdock trying cases in space. Yeah. Yeah, but they had She-Hulk do that. So, you know. Yeah, but not on yeah. Nowhere. I'm sure Nowhere has its yeah, own legal true. system. I'm sure the bar exam isn't that hard for Nowhere. <laughs> Well, the pictures are just piling up here. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I would say, again, you know, let's be honest, though. Uh, I think we're probably five of the more rational people on the Internet talking about these films. <laughs> we're not doing this for the clickbait, folks. We're not just going to hate on something because we want to rage. We want to get the, the rage follows. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, and I, to the to the point, uh, uh, Stephen, where you say you don't think there's, a, I, I pre- I'm pretty sure Kevin Feige has a plan. I hope uh, so. Yeah, the prop the issue is is a lot of times you can have plans, it just doesn't work out the way you want. You know, I, I would love to have. You know, if we always talk about it would be great to have like Keanu Reeves in a Marvel movie, but you know, the dude the dude's got John Wick movies that he's making now. There's been talk back, uh, constant talk about. Um, Daniel Craig in a Marvel film, you know, but then it's like you have to consider things like scheduling. Yeah. I heard about John Krasinski was supposed to be signed up for stuff. And then he got so big with the, the the Jack Ryan stuff. So yeah, all that. So it's like, he's got to make sure he leaves room to make those fucking movies. Yeah. So it's like, uh, I, I, I know, um, I have been, um, I, I have, uh, uh, my friend, um, Jeff Jenkins, his son, uh, Maxwell, is is Will Robinson in the Lost in Space on uh, Netflix. He, I think he would be a perfect Johnny Storm. Um, and he would be, you know, he's the right age. Um, he's young. He's got that 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 um, charisma. But uh, if they don't make the next Fantastic Four movie within the next five years, he's going to age out. out of it. Yeah. yeah, like Chadwick Boseman passing away. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. there was oh, a plan man. in place for him to do things, you know? So it's just like, yeah, they, I will say it's like, it's the burden and the benefit of the MCU is that it's burdened by having all these different moving pieces at the same time. But then there's so many different options to where they can be nimble and swap things around as they need to. You know, we talked about the last, basically the last whole phase of movies was made during COVID and none of these movies came out in the order they were initially supposed to come out in. And you can tell they filmed the scenes for Doctor Strange that needed to be inserted into it to make sense because Spider-Man came out first and it wasn't supposed to. So, yeah, I, I, I want to believe that they have a plan. It's just, as they say, the best laid plans, right? Let's change the subject because we're all kind of like, I think that kind of deflated a little bit. So we're feeling like the way the audience maybe felt at the end of this movie. Because this is a really good movie, and we should probably be, be happy that it exists, not uh, not uh, depressed over what the implications of it had going forward. Because in, it's it's still just it's it's a it's a miracle that it exists. It's an amazing movie. It's just terrific. And I will say this: I full I went into Infinity War fully expecting Tony Stark to die. Because of that, they were there was all the talk about Robert Downey Jr.'s contract being up, um, that he wasn't going to come back. I'm like, oh, this might be it. It would make sense for him, you know. He is like one of the fallen, 
that then Cap has to like recover from that in the next film and, and go from there. Uh, the fact that they don't, and then then we'll talk about Endgame, which while the movie has its um has its flaws, I think was a perfect send off for you know all of the these. But to to your point, Tom, yes, it's we gotta appreciate this film. And again, I am by no means trying to to I'm trying to get down on it. If you have a chance, if you've never seen these movies before, um, and you have a, a Disney Plus um, account, or you know, you can find these. Um, you know, they're fairly affordable on Blu-ray. You can get them at your freaking Redbox now. You can, every once in a while, you can buy. They're on sale at the Redbox for like a couple bucks a piece. Um, definitely, you're going to um, you're going to see filmmaking on a level that. Marvel is going to have a hard time approaching again because right now, I said th this we're at that point where the train's getting into the station, and I'm ready to get off and just let it keep going without me for a while because I don't know if I can get as emotionally invested as I did. Uh, any closing thoughts before we move on to our last segment? I think I got to put less booze in the drinks. I think everyone's slowing down. <laughs> I I'm going to get to bed very, very soon. So <laughs> I have to wrap I, things up. No, I finished mine. I finished mine. It went, again, very good. Again, R-E-V-U cocktails to see the Infinity Gauntlet, which our own Tom Jutner created for this um, for this uh, episode. What is our next movie? I want to say the next one is Ant-Man, correct? Ant-Man Ant and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp and Man of the Wasp and Captain Marvel both come out between Infinity War and Endgame. Yes. And it's so funny we won't be getting back to Endgame for a good month. Yeah. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, will make maybe 450 something like that. Uh, uh, about a half about not quite 500 million. Then Captain Marvel will come in and blow the doors off and be yeah. the next billion-dollar box office film. Uh, yes. Marvel. Um, a lot of anticipation there. All right. So before we call it a night and before we get to closing thoughts, uh, I do want to take a moment for those of you who are on the live stream. Um, and if you're, you'll hear this eventually on uh, the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the MCU Review crew will be starting another special limited edition show, a live stream and a podcast that will be devoted to uh, a show that – a movie, sorry, a movie series that uh, John and I are very, very fond of, and that would be the Indiana Jones series. And the series is going to be called Top Men – and Indiana Jones podcast. So if uh, it's going to follow the same format as the MCU review, the difference being we're only going to have one episode a month. We're going to do all five Indiana Jones movies, starting with Raiders of the Lost Ark, followed by Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and then hopefully ending with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So um, this podcast will be broadcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, but we will also be live streaming the recording of said podcast 
in the same format as we do the MCU review right here. So if you want to follow us, you want to go to Facebook.com and do a search for Top Men and Indiana Jones Podcast. Now, um, <clears throat> please do a search for Top Men and Indiana Jones Podcast. Because if you do just Top Men, <laughs> you're going to get something completely different. <laughs> and I was told, I was told, uh, someone said to me, you do realize what you get when you when you Google Top Men, right? And I was like, oh, that's right. Okay, but uh, this was really the best of all the the um, suggestions that were made for this podcast. This really was the um, the only one. First, that wasn't taken, but that I really enjoyed. I really like uh, this title. Uh, and just because it's called Top Men, it does not mean that we will not have women voices. We do have invitations out to some of our top uh, women creators uh, to participate in the discussion. But uh, our first one will be a discussion of uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we will be joined by comic book artist uh, Tom Feister, who is a huge fan of Indiana Jones. When I told him we were putting this together, he said, I want in. So he'll be joining us. We do have um, some other guests lined up, as well as a former employee from Lucasfilm who was actually involved with uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So he's going to be joining us. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to his input. Uh, he's uh, He'll be joining us also on um, Temple of Doom, which he said was his favorite film. So again, top men and Indiana Jones podcast. You can watch the live stream on Facebook. Do a search for top men and Indiana Jones podcast. And then it will be aired as part of the caffeinated comics series on the Radio Misfits podcast network. <sighs> Telling you, I've, I've got, I've got so, I've, I've got so many podcasts going right now. It's like <laughs> in what didn't uh, didn't uh, Warhol say that in the future everyone will have fifteen podcasts, more or less, more or less. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Before we go, any closing thoughts? Let's start with you, Stephen. If you're talking, I can't hear you, buddy. Sorry, I was trying to be quiet and helpful earlier when you were pitching your thing. Um, <laughs> I think for general thoughts, uh, I think the main takeaway is uh, I think on this like last, I haven't seen the movie probably in over a year and a half. And I think just that we got it and it worked and it, you know, you can punch holes in kind of anything. Why didn't they do this to get the gauntlet away from him? Or Thanos' plan was stupid anyway and all this you can kind of always like nitpick stuff, but I think the fact that we got it, they pulled it off the things that worked and we needed to pay off, paid off very well. It set up the second movie perfectly. Um, the two movies together work really well. Uh, I made sure when Endgame finally came out and was available, I wanted to watch them both together to see how it would flow and it flows really well. So I think it's just like uh, it could have been Justice League. And it should have been Justice League, and it wasn't, you know? So it's great that we got a movie that um, kind of hit all the notes it needed to and delivered on a lot of, like, I mean, 10 years of, like, promises, you know what I mean? I agree. Dave? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'll echo everything Stephen just said. Uh, the reason it's not Justice League is because you actually care about these characters. <laughs> it would be like if they had killed off Tony Stark in the third, second or third film. Because at that point, maybe you like him, but you really care about him as much um, in the way that they killed off Superman and Donna Justice. Um, yeah, it just it's it's one of those things. I don't know if it's quite fair to say that they caught lightning in a bottle because maybe, you know, with Secret Wars and the stuff that's rumored to be coming down the line, um, maybe they, they'll be able to do something that, that if not surpasses this, then at least uh, rivals it in terms of quality and hype. But uh, it's difficult because it's it's such an undertaking, and there was so much buildup to this, not just um, the number of movies, but you know all the all the behind the scenes stuff of the the plot threads that they were that they were so weaving in and, and ideas that they were planting. Um, yeah, it, it's just difficult for them to. And obviously, we you know we could talk about it more similar discussion when we get to Endgame, but it's difficult to the, to imagine them being able to pull off something similar to this again you know, in the next few years. Tom? If I could put a metaphor for how this movie works and works so well is they took all of the stuff that they had been building up over 10 years, all of the character investment and the plotline investment and had it all orbiting this dark star that was Josh Brolin's Thanos performance and everything orbits around the center in this wonderful macabre dance of that ultimately is what winds up with one of the great all time downer endings in the history of movies. So they had a great plan. And like you said, I don't know if they'll ever be able to replicate that, but they had a great plan for how, how to make it work. And then they executed it flawlessly. And John, uh, the thing that sticks with me most about this movie is that it's always unexpected. I mean, you go in going, all right, everyone's going to team up. We're all going to fight Thanos. I've read the book that this is named after. And it's constantly surprising at, at, at every step. Even the character interactions. You don't, you know, who would have thought, okay, we'll have Thor and Rocket and Groot for an hour. You know, those are the characters you want to spend time bouncing off each other. I love the, you know, the Doctor Strange Spider-Man relationship. Um, I just rewatched the extended edition No Way Home and watching this, I was like, oh, everything that's in No Way Home is built here. And then, of course, just um, the one interaction everybody wanted to see, which was Tony Stark and Doctor Strange, uh, didn't quite play like they like people thought they would. They got on each other's nerves for reasons that were not expected, you know, and, and, and the internet was spending a year saying uh, we riot. If, if Robert Downey Jr. Doesn't say to Benedict Cumberbatch, no shit, Sherlock. And Kevin Feige said, why would we do something hacky like that? <laughs> and I feel like that's the spirit of the movie. It was like, we're not just going to pander to the fans. We're not going to just, we're not going to do what you expect and give you all the member berries that, you know, like that a lot of old, um, old franchises are guilty of it's constantly challenging and it, this is not a franchise that rests on its laurels and and i think as we're talking about now even though we don't know what they're planning and we don't know where they're going we have to say that they're taking a lot of chances 
And that uh, will be a conversation for another day. So thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening here on the Facebook uh, live stream on the, our YouTube page and our Twitch. Uh, if this is the first time you're watching us, please give us a like, give us a heart. Uh, if you're on our Facebook page, follow us um, uh, as well as like us so you get notifications on future episodes. Thank you, Lehman. Thank you, Susan, as always, for tuning in and being our loyal viewers. Uh, we hope to see you again in the future. Uh, one quick round uh, for all of our folks here. How can we follow you on your socials? Stephen? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at the Brave Butter Pecan. Dave? I'm on Instagram at Pinto underscore Noir. Why do we want to follow you on Instagram? Uh, because my wrinkly four-legged goblin who lives with me and my wife. I love that dog, Dexter. Yes. Tom. Uh, you can follow all of the drinks that appear on this show and that will be appearing on upcoming appearing on top men at R E V U cocktails on the Instagram app, along with the occasional classic and or tiki cocktail that I decide to cook up because it's a Friday or because it's a Thursday. Uh, in my spare time. So uh, all recipes included, uh, I do my best on the photography, or in this case, my wife did their, her best on the photography. So that's where you can follow me on Instagram. We'll also find the drink for the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, uh, I, I know uh, you've got a little something special. In yes. the, uh, so I was going to maybe ask you if you wanted to do the photo for that one. I, if I get the elements in time to put it together, yes, I will. Okay, great. And John? I'm at Not In My Book on Instagram and sometimes Twitter. And, of course, you can listen to this podcast. And every week, anywhere you get podcasts for the Caffeinated Comic Feed, celebrating 10 years of podcasting. And I am Elliot Serrano. You can follow me on all socials at Elliot Serrano with two L's, two T's, and two R's. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, being a part. Thank you if you're watching us live or listening to the podcast or watching the video archive for the MCU Review crew. Everyone, thanks. We will see you next time when we're talking about the uh, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp.